New Year, everyone. Welcome to History Factory Plugged In, the podcast at the nexus of history and business. I'm Jason Dressel, and welcome. Welcome to our first podcast of 2020. And first, let me say how happy I am that 2020 is finally here, because we no longer have to hear about Visions 2020. For those of you in corporate America, you know what I'm talking about. How many of you work for a company that had a Vision 2020 at some point? It feels like everyone had a Vision 2020. They were the go-to branded mantra for every company's long-term vision or strategy. The double entendre was just too irresistible. So it's good to have Vision 2020 behind us now that we're here. None of us can have a Vision 2020 anymore. We're here. We've arrived and we're moving forward and no vision technically is going to be more perfect than Vision 2020. So companies are going to have to come up with new branding for their long-term strategies. Vision 25, Vision 2030, just not going to cut it because we all know that 2020 vision is perfect. So fare thee well, Vision 2020. I hope your goals were realized and you're on to new strategic pastures with all new names and timelines as we move forward. So with this being the first episode of 2020 and the beginning of a new decade, we're going to have both a look back as well as a look forward uh, again, but not with the aforementioned Vision 2020. We're going to start with my conversation with History Factory founder and CEO Bruce Weindrick to talk about how history will be remembered these last 10 years. And then I'll dig in a little more on some of the big themes and milestones of the last decade. And uh, then we'll do what we've learned is always dangerous, which is we'll speculate on the future. And that will give us something interesting to look back on next year and over the next few years. And we'll see how 2020 and the decade plays out. And before we do that, let's get to our mystery entity of the day. And normally we do a mystery company, but today we have a mystery television series. This particular TV show has an interesting track record of predicting the future in many of its episodes. Among other scenarios, the show portrayed Donald Trump as president years before he was elected. And how's this for random? This TV show also had an episode in which the U.S. curling team beats heavily favorite Sweden to win the gold medal in the Olympics. And then that actually happened years later in 2018 at the Winter Olympics when the USA upset the Swedes. So we'll reveal who this mystery TV entity is in a little bit. So let's begin with the big chief and our conversation about the last decade. Bruce, happy new year, buddy. Happy 2020. Yeah, well, let's let's just hope we have that kind of vision, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, uh, one of the things that I, I noted is that, uh, if nothing else, one of the benefits of us finally being here to 2020 is we no longer have to hear about companies having their 2020 vision. Um, so, indeed, if 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 nothing else, we can we can scratch out the 2020 jargon uh, from the uh, from the the jargon directory because we're yeah, finally well, here after years of 2020. Yeah. Yeah, but you know as well as many as probably what I think you want to talk about today in terms of predictions. I really want to know how many people actually get to what where they thought they would be at 2020. Right, right. Well, they've, I'm sure they've already updated it, but uh, needless to exactly. say, their, 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 vision, their vision for 2030, just by its nature, just yeah. technically, it can't be as sharp. It can't be, exactly. it can't be as perfect as, as their 2020 vision. It just can't. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. 
So, you know, when we look back over this decade that we just uh, – completed and uh, they feel faster every time. You know, we started 10 years ago, obviously in the midst of a terrible recession. And, you know, here we are now, uh, you know, in one of the longest, if not the longest economic expansions we've had, you know, continual low, uh, you know, low, low on unemployment. Uh, a lot of folks, to your point, were predicting, you know, that we would be in a recession by now. And, and thankfully, we're not. Um, but from from your perspective, how will historians look back at the last decade in terms of you know what are what are kind of some of the key themes of the last decade, uh, particularly through the lens of of business history? Yeah, and you know again, I'm I'm just somewhat cautious because I don't want to sound like a like an old fuddy duddy, uh, so I'm just going to base it on things that. I've seen historians study forever and kind of where some of those things are in, uh, in that past, this past decade. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, and we forget about it, but this decade, and, and there's, by the way, a leitmotif, there's a theme here. Um, if, if you look at how this past decade began and you look at what we study as historians and even business historians, social movements. Um, I mean, you had the Arab Spring, which was a yeah. pretty remarkable thing. Uh, you had the Me Too movement. Uh, you had uh, the, the whole kind of anti-Wall Street uh, movement. Uh, what was that one called? Something Now? I can't remember the name of that one. Occupy uh, Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street. So, so, so the first thing that I think when, we, when historians look back at is going to be just that, the movements. And we had a number of them throughout, globally, by the way, throughout. Um, and it kind of what we'll also look back at, and again, this affects business, uh, we'll look back at uh, the kind of the bigger picture, which is a lot of populism and nationalism um, that kind of reemerged um, during that decade across the globe. So you, you, you kind of start there. Um, then the next thing is you kind of step back and as a business historian, and I'm thinking of all the books you read in, in graduate school, of course, you, you know, you read about uh, social movements. Well, then, then, then you read about, so why? And clearly one of the, the, the kind of the major, uh, major uh, things we're going to look at is the evolution of, of technology, more importantly, the democratization of technology. Um, you know, the notion that most of these movements are fueled by and have been affected by the ability of people to access on their, on their phone um, either uh, propaganda, uh, information, uh, information about movement. And so now, now we're starting to kind of, we would look at that and, and kind of say, so what is that about? As we start then moving toward business, Okay, during the same decade, I think we're going to start looking at, first of all, to me, the biggest surprise, not a surprise, and I'm not even sure that, that, that the decade uh, uh, has given us a clear example, but boy, oh boy, I never thought, I never thought that I would see uh, the end of some of the great retail uh, organizations, and, and not only, you know, not, not just the oldest like Sears, 
Um, but, you know, Radio Shack, I mean, Toys R Us. I mean, you know, back in the 50s, and the limited, you know, these are organizations in the 50s and 60s that were reflective of changes in, 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 our, in our buying habits, suburbanization of America, the interstate highway system, the growth of, a, growth of an identity, television advertising, whatever, and then they're gone. These things are gone. And, and to me, that's still playing itself out. But, but that's also a technology story as we have Uber and Lyft and Airbnb and, uh, you know, mobile first and subscriptions to anything. You can now, I mean, we're, we're now in a, we're now in a you know, society in which, you know, software is a service and you can subscribe to everything, including, you know, your, your films. And it's, so I guess what I'm saying is, as, a, as you can't look at the decade of business history in a vacuum, uh, you have to look at the, the, the societal shifts, then you have to look at the technology shifts, and then you have to look at a lot of, look at the financial. You mentioned uh, 2008. I mean, at the beginning of, the, of, of the 2010, right, the top market cap in, 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 uh, in on, uh, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange in the world was ExxonMobil. It wasn't even in the top 10 at the end of the decade, but who were up at the top? Microsoft and Apple. That, to me, is an indication of a shift in just the role of technology. Uh, then you can get into the specific products, iPad. Uh, uh, you know, uh, to me, of course, it, it was the iPod uh, and the iPhone. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I think this is going to be, as we look back, we're, we're obviously going to see a lot of, of, of uh, amazing change, but I would argue, interestingly enough, as a historian, I could probably make the same argument for a lot of other decades. Well, and it's interesting, too, as you point out, even when you talk about and sort of chart these different move, movements that occurred over the last decade, how those themselves obviously were in response to the broader context of what was happening, right? So you had, you know, Occupy Wall Street was in the earlier part of the decade when there was obviously a lot of anger at the financial institutions because of the global uh, economic uh, crisis and, and, and the recession. And as you moved further into the, uh, into the decade, you know, some of those other movements, I think, have been uh, more illustrative of, of, a, um, of a society or some societies where, uh, you know, those same issues are just not quite as paramount. You know, there's not that same level of anger right now, it seems, as there was a decade ago. Um, so it's interesting to sort of track that. And also, you know, to your point about market cap, uh, that too is sort of a reflection of obviously, you know, that the fact that right now, you know, there's a lot of consumers around the world that have the ability to, you know, buy devices. And not surprisingly, you know, when there's a recession, you know, the, the, the top, the top companies are still in those kind of you know, fundamental resources like energy. Yeah, no, no question about it. And by the way, you know, that, that'll be an interesting, again, as historians, uh, and there's a business history side of this, um, the whole notion of America's kind of non-dependence on foreign oil 
uh, is a huge, huge story. But, I mean, this is a story, by the way, that goes, you know, all the way back to, to, to John D. Rockefeller and fast-forwards all the way to, you know, the shale uh, and the Bakken. So there's, to your point, you know, with, with in, there's an environmental movement, is there not? Well, and then there's corporations responding to it. The Me Too movement. Uh, how about the democratization of film? I think another uh, amazing story of, of the decade has to be, in my opinion, the emergence of China. I mean, it's just remarkable. Um, you know, there's a, there have been a lot of end-of-the-year, end-of-the-decade stories where they're talking about that th- there's no more uh, dependence on Hollywood. China itself um, has this amazing power through media to, to create uh, feature films. Um, so, you know, while that's happening, people are cutting the cord. Uh, they're watching in different ways. So what happens is a little sidelight of that. You get a guy who was popular early in the decade, like Miramax and Harvey Weinstein, the Me Too movement comes along, and his company evaporates. Okay? So there's that mix of social, uh, economic, uh, political, uh, cultural, uh, all kind of coming together and just reordering the landscape. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's always interesting because it's, it's impossible – to predict the future, and we always joke about that—that that nothing looks, you know, faster, older than than the future. Um, and it seems like the more you try to predict things that are driven by behavior, I, I always—it it always seems to me that the things that you try to predict that are really driven by human behavior are where you're going to fail the most, right? Um, like Uber, you know, if you had told me 12 years ago that you know you would basically just pick up your phone and, and grab a car, like that wouldn't have occurred to me. It's just—it's hard to predict what we're comfortable with in terms of behavioral change versus what we're not, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think that I always said, you know, I, I always thought when I was a kid that we would have been doing essentially video conferencing and FaceTiming a lot quicker than we were. But I think one of the reasons why it took so long to become really popular was because people fundamentally just didn't want to be looked at when they were on the phone. You know, it wasn't that the technology wasn't there. It just required sort of a behavioral change that most people just didn't really, you know, care about, which is why it's obviously been so so effective in, in the workplace, you know, as a tool first and virtual. Well, and there you there I think, I, I think there and you, you, you come up with an interesting kind of point. Are those companies that that that, that not, not predict, but are able to gauge to your point where there is already resistance, uh, and and then disrupt it, are the ones that are the ones that actually uh, survive. And so I, I think that if you really or or that, that really that really make a difference. So I mean, look, I would have thought logically um, that that Bitcoin would have been just Totally, totally accepted. And, it, and it, I mean, where is cryptocurrency? I mean, nowhere. Uh, you know, it, it's completely gone. Yet at the same time, blockchain, the underlying technology, yeah. everyone's got it. So there, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of an interesting uh, 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 irony, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as, as you think about, you know, the, the last decade, I mean, what are some of the kind of key ticks on the timeline uh, that you think will will sort of endure, you know, in terms of when, when, when we look back at, you know, some of the major 
innovations. You referenced, obviously, some of the big big companies and brands that are no longer with us, uh, although I'm not so sure that some of those may not come back. I, I can't imagine that at some point in the, in the future, just given the brand equity of Toys R Us, that someone's not going to bring it back in some form or fashion. Um, but, but putting that aside, you know, what, what do you think of as some of the big, uh, as some of the big kind of major, major milestones of the last 10 years? Well, other than the ice bucket challenge, uh, <laughs> well, and, and of course the, the the chicken sandwich from Popeyes. Other than putting, there, those, two, oh, putting those two, putting those two aside, <laughs> right? Uh, I would say clearly mobile first. I mean, to me, yeah. that 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 genie ain't going back in the pot. Um, yeah. That that is going to be that is just that is just the way we live now, and it, we, it's it's gonna it's not going to go backwards, and it, it isn't a flying car, and it isn't it just is what it is. We are now. I don't care what you say. It, mobile. We are. It comes to us mobile first. That to me is going to be the biggest thing that came out, in my opinion, that came out of the decade that's going to live with us for a while. Kind of the more headier stuff we talked about in the previous thing. Uh, and again, you know, it's interesting. We'll see, to your point, if it withstands an economic downturn. I certainly think the purpose, uh, corporate purpose movement, I, I can't, is it going to last forever? I mean, shareholder first lasted from about uh, the late, uh, the early 19. 50s, 60s, up until today. So it had a good 50, 60 year run. Uh, I think purpose has got to, has, has got to, uh, it's, it has, a, it's going to affect things for the next. Hey, look, I mean, all you have to do is pick up the paper every day, and you're finding another CEO uh, of an organization who's disappearing. And why are they disappearing? Sometimes you don't even know, but now we just assume that they did something that was either socially, culturally, politically un, un, inappropriate. And it's truly remarkable that way. So I think that is another one that's going to s- stick with us uh, for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and back to that point, it's interesting, too, as we look to the future, uh, it, it, the one thing we know is it's just not going to play out the way we expect it. But, you know, back to that point about human behavior, I, I, I kind of look at um, I look at the whole um, – unmanned car thing in sort of the same category. It's like people like to drive, you know, I've, I've got two kids that in the next decade are going to be of driving age and I, they both are looking forward to driving. So, you know, cause I, I look at them now and I think, you know, in 10 years, guys, you, you might not need to know how to drive. Right. Uh, but it's going to be interesting cause that's going to also be one of the, I think biggest kind of sort of conflicts of human behavior and technology and the technology will probably be possible far faster than uh, people are going to want to give up driving because, you know, so many of us obviously have grown up with it and even young people, they see it as a, as a form of empowerment. Yeah, but, so, but let's back up then, then the one notch electric cars. I mean, come on, the, the, yeah. you know, that, that that's, that's just going to be the thing, all right? So the, to your point, uh, yes, that resistance, of course, we know <laughs> that self-driving cars would definitely uh, greatly reduce traffic fatalities. We know that self-driving cars would greatly reduce congestion. We know, I mean, you can go all day long about the great things it's going to do, but to your point, human behavior is such that people like to drive. Right. <laughs> Henry Ford knew that. 
Well, and I, and I think that is going to be one of the biggest, certainly one of the biggest factors of the next 10 years and, and probably for the next 100 years is going to obviously be the environment and just the amount of disruption that that is going to create. I've been surprised, quite frankly, that the property and casualty industry hasn't been more aggressive over the last 10 years and talking about climate change from the perspective of risk and just saying, hey, we're not going to be able to handle this burden if if we don't start addressing it. And, you know, there may be folks out there that are, you know, denying climate or whatever, but you can't deny that, that crazy things are happening that are costing, you know, billions of dollars. And just from a infrastructure perspective, you know, the, the, the insurance industry is not going to be able to carry that load, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's another interesting point you make. Uh, and, but if you look where the real smart money is, guys like Warren Buffett, <laughs> they're in that business because yeah. they realize that there's an opportunity there uh, to yeah. make a lot of money. Having said that, another great, another story of, the, of this decade that's going to be critical to that industry, by the way, and others, is big data. Um, you know, I know it's kind of just used everywhere now, but it, it, particularly in, in areas like uh, high-risk areas, like property casualty, big data is becoming critical for them to understand. I mean, come on. Have you noticed uh, over the holiday season all the ads uh, for automobiles, uh, insurance, where the person is saying, no, 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 I can't do that because my car, my insurance company is monitoring how I'm driving my car, and I can get and I can get a, a, a discount if I'm a safe driver. Well, that's, that's the kind of things we're going to start to see in terms of using data, using technology, using mobile, uh, using a lot of uh, using social to be able to uh, mitigate some of that risk. And in fact, if anything, you know, uh, differentiate oneself in a crowded marketplace. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because your your comment on, on data reminds me of another thing that there's a lot of folks right now in the predictions business who are expecting there's going to be this massive rise of content, you know, customized content and personalization of content. Um, but I've also read some articles where some folks have said that's going to be a fad and it's going to end because, again, the technology is going to be there, but people are going to resist it They're, because of the, 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 the issue of not only of privacy, but just also of it just ultimately becoming so sort of personalized that it then becomes inauthentic, um, that this whole kind of emphasis on customization and personalization is actually going to be a little bit of a bubble and it's going to burst. So um, that'll be another it, one that'll be interesting it's the, to track. It's, 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 the, it's the content equivalent of, of self-driving cars. You know, right. human, totally. human, human beings are just not wired that way. And uh, you're absolutely right. I, I've already, there's already a lot of resistance to that. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I think people get a little bit creeped out by it. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's right. I think that's right. So the other interesting thing, it, uh, it, it's uh, kind of in the context of, uh, of personalization is the, the disappearance of the necktie. I wonder by if, if in 10 years neckties are even going to hold on. I, uh, I wore one to our, to our holiday party, 40th anniversary gala, and I think it was only the second time I had worn a tie in, in 2019. <laughs> 
So, but that's my prediction. I think the 2020s may be, may be the end of the necktie, at least for a while. Well, you, you notice, you notice, and you can go there, but we've, I wouldn't even do a fashion prediction if, if, you, if you paid me a million dollars. Oh, they'll come back. They'll come back. Yes, exactly. Come on. And by the way, I think I might have been the only other guy at our party who was wearing a necktie. Uh, right, but you were also wearing a top hat, so go figure. Yeah. Well, no, because I got a closet full of holiday Christmas ties that I only have about a, a two-week window in which I can wear them, or else I start to look like a, a you know a, a commercial airline pilot. I mean, right. the, the, <laughs> the, 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 that's why I wear ties during the holiday season. I like a tie. You know that. Yeah. All right, man. So, any other any other thoughts on on the last decade? Any other uh, any other things you think uh, leaders should keep in mind as we forge forward? You know, again, I think we pretty touched touched on most of the things. If you if you if you think if you think you know uh, what's going to happen, you don't. And you know, again, that's why we don't write ditto in the in the in the uh, history book every year because we know it changes. And if anything. The rapidity of change, the speed of change—that's going to be the—that's just going to—that's just status quo, and and so that's probably the only thing I would say. Uh, we've touched on all the other key points. Yeah. All right, man. Sounds good. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for your thoughts, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Happy New Year. Well, looking forward to it. Happy New Year. So thanks again to Bruce for joining us and sharing his perspective. And as Bruce said, it really was the decade of going mobile. The years we all really became addicted to our devices. I mean, I know I did. And the iPhone really started to take off after coming out in 2007, after being out for a few years. And apps started getting big. Instagram came out in 2010, and that helped propel the selfie Incidentally, uh, I learned that 259 people were killed between 2011 and 2017 in pursuit of taking a selfie in a dangerous location, according to a 2018 global study. I bet you didn't know that. And the iPhone really was the product that revolutionized the smartphone and the use of apps. The phone became so popular that it wasn't just for hardcore Apple fans anymore. Remember that ad campaign, the Mac versus PC? I actually went back and looked it up, and that campaign with John Hodgman and Justin Long ran from 2006 to 2009. So it ended in October uh, 2009, in fact. So it ended right before the beginning of the next decade. And it's interesting because in that next decade, Apple went from having to define Mac as a product and Apple as a brand that was for their enthusiasts and kind of their the power user and designers to being a product and a brand that could be for anyone. And for a long time there, the iPhone was just the unrivaled smartphone. So smartphones completely changed our lives, especially in really the first half of the decade. In 2011, 35% of Americans had smartphones, and now over 80% of Americans have them, according to the Pew Research Center. Another huge change that followed the impact of smartphones is live streaming. In 2010, in November of 2010, Netflix began offering a separate unlimited streaming option for less than half the price of its DVD by mail subscription. Remember that? And then just this past November, as in two months ago, Disney Plus came out and Apple TV raised its game with its entree into content. 
And of course, now with music, we've got Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music and Sonos, which is integrating software and, and hardware. So mobile and streaming content have been these huge changes in our lives in just the last few years, as has the addition of voice and virtual assistants, which has begun really through the Internet of Things. And speaking of Mac and PC, back in 1999, Bill Gates was on point and largely predicted our lives would be changed by the Internet of Things and virtual assistants. He described the creation of personal computerized devices that could sync with other devices to check email, make purchases, make grocery lists, and schedule appointments. Alexa, Google Home, and the Apple HomePod all essentially do that. And he also predicted the rise of constant video feeds of your house for security purposes, which of course has also become quite prevalent. And as Bruce and I were discussing, all of this technology also played a role in how we were organizing as groups and the pace of change and how it's occurring so fast, which is why in a recent article in Vox, the last decade was referred to as the decade of revolt. Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, the Women's March, climate strikes, and other protests around the world like the ongoing one in Hong Kong are all a reflection of this, as is the rise of white supremacy groups and other extremist groups around the world. Fifty years ago, it was predicted that in 50 years, nationalism would be a thing of the past. But on the other hand, The Independent predicted in 1997 that 32-year-old Boris Johnson would become a member of the cabinet of the UK in 2020. And look where we are with Johnson and the rise of nationalism around the world. The one thing we know is that the future won't happen as we predict it. The recession didn't happen in 2019 as many economists forecast, nor did voice technology explode yet as many analysts in various industries expected. And smart eyewear has still not taken hold. But as we look to this next decade, there are some broad societal themes that are going to become more and more dominant. First and foremost, the climate crisis is going to change our lives and how we conduct business. Sustainability is likely to permeate every industry, from banking to food to retail. Will banks begin to make financing for fossil fuel energy more difficult? Will more people begin to turn to plant-based alternatives to meat for environmental reasons as well as health and ethical reasons? How will industries like retail, apparel, and fashion respond to more conscious consumerism and an emphasis on secondhand goods? And as we look to the 2020 election and beyond, how will the issue of authentic content, fake news, and alternative facts all continue to create disruption that citizens and organizations have to grapple with? And as Bruce and I were also discussing, it's going to be interesting to track how companies and brands continue to use data and AI and how people will respond. Gartner predicts that by 2024, AI will be able to identify your emotions and determine which online ads you see. But how are people going to respond to these possibilities and what are they going to embrace and what are they going to revolt against? That's all going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. The combination of sustainability, geopolitics, automation, AI, and a new era of feminism and an emphasis for diversity and inclusion are going to make for a very eventful decade ahead. In addition, we continue to have this seeming contrast of huge global companies dominating their industries and a workforce continuing to trend toward contract gigs. Deloitte reports that already more than 40% of employees are engaged in gig and contract work and that that will likely increase. You have this dichotomy of massive global multi-billion dollar enterprises with micro elements of a labor force that wants total flexibility. It's a dynamic that creates all kinds of interesting opportunities and challenges as it pertains to labor relations, compensation and wages, profitability, and workplace culture. 
Bottom line, there's a lot going on. It's going to be a decade like no other time in our history that are both scary challenges, but also unprecedented opportunities. But isn't that always the case? On a lighter note, 100 years ago, we had the Roaring Twenties, a period that was in many ways revolutionary in changing many cultural and societal norms. Many of these changes have been traced by social historians to the emergence and widespread adoption of the automobile and radio. Some marketing analysts are reporting that companies and brands are going to draw on the heritage of the Roaring Twenties for creative inspiration. Think the great Gatsby and grand events. But I don't know. I don't know. It sort of feels like we've been in a period of the Roaring Twenties already. That 1920s iconography of excess seems kind of incongruent with other trends of sustainability and conscious consumerism. But as we said before, nothing looks older faster than trying to predict the future. So it's fun to speculate and see where it goes. And this brings us back to our mystery entity of the day. Uh, There's one entity uh, that seems to have a better track record than most of predicting the future. Donald Trump becoming president one day, Lady Gaga performing in suspended air, which she later did at the Super Bowl, the unanticipated and awkward frustrations caused by the use of autocorrect, one of the dragons in Game of Thrones incinerating a village of innocent people, and last but not least, the USA upsetting Sweden in curling at the 2018 Winter Olympics. These are all real events that the Simpsons portrayed years ahead of time. Of course, in all fairness, we should probably balance these scenes of clairvoyance with all the scenes where the Simpsons didn't get it right, but what fun is that? But seriously, that's pretty amazing. Two years before the final season of Game of Thrones, the Simpsons had a scene that very closely resembles the scene in which Daenerys suddenly makes parents all over the world realize that perhaps naming their kid after an inspiring character from a TV show was not the best decision. So on that note, let's call it a wrap. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the 2020s. Tune into The Simpsons to find out what happens next. Thanks again to Bruce for joining me and take care. We'll talk soon.